Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. All right. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> um, welcome, everyone, to our CyberWise chat today. Um, you might notice that instead of Rick, we have someone else with us today that I'm going to introduce you to in just a minute. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we're going to talk about TikTok and Gen Z from viral dance videos to social media activism. Um, as you probably know, I'm Diana Graber. I'm the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberCivics and CyberWise. And I'm here today with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who is the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, Arias Collins, who is our community manager at CyberWise. Arias will be um, managing our chat. So if you have any questions, please put them in there. And we are really excited today to welcome our special guest, Dr. Brooke Foucault-Wells, who is the co-author of Hashtag Activism, Networks of Race and Gender Justice, and the Associate Professor and Interim Chair of the Department of Communication Studies at Northeastern University. So welcome, Brooke. Really pleased and happy to have you join us today. All right. <clears throat> so when most of us think of TikTok, you know, you've probably heard of TikTok, whether you have little kids, big kids, or whatever. Um, we think of risque dance videos or these crazy challenges, such as the last one. Um, if you haven't heard about it, it's called Slap a Teacher Challenge, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But what a lot of parents don't know is that many people consider TikTok to be the platform for political activism, especially amongst Gen Z, which are today's teens and very young adults. Um, a really popular example of this happened last year um, when TikTok fans of Korean pop music groups called K-pop stands uh, registered in advance for tickets to a Trump rally as a prank and then didn't show up. So some people call this a no-show protest. So since then, there's been a lot of other examples that we'll talk about today, and it's really become a social media powerhouse for political expression. Um, so lots to address in the short time we have together, but I'd really like to start with you, Brooke, with a really simple question, because uh, some people may not know, what is hashtag activism? And for that matter, how does a hashtag work to organize these groups? Yeah, of course, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, so. The thing that makes social media distinct when we think about activism is the capacity to quickly bring together a large group of people in order to engage in some kind of action. Right? So the example that you gave of the K-pop stands um, kind of culture jamming this Trump rally is an interesting example. And it only works if you can get a lot of people to do the same thing all at the same time. Um, and that's what social media is so good at. And one of the reasons it's so good at that is because of this kind of connective tissue of the hashtag, right? So hashtags, uh, historically, they were created by everyday users as a way to kind of signal a conversation happening on a certain topic. So we might hashtag uh, Trump rally, right? And then people know that if they want to 
look for information about the Trump rally, either because they want to attend or because they want to stop it, um, they can search for that particular hashtag. And by inserting that little hashtag symbol, the little pound sign uh, right in front of the word, it makes it really easy in sort of computer language to search. Um, so, so we can find it and we can kind of find that rather uniquely relative to other stuff, even if you were to put in those terms. Um, so again, the, the real power of the hashtag is the idea that we can connect ideas uh, together and that people can find them. Uh, so if you want to get a lot of people together, one way to do that is to kind of tell all your friends, right? But that's going to be slow and it's going to be pretty limited. The number of people you know, maybe, you know, now with social media, maybe, you know, a thousand people or even 5,000 people, but that's not enough to create the kind of effect we're looking for. We need hundreds of thousands of people um, to know about something in order to engage with it. And so the hashtag gives us a vehicle to connect these disparate people into one kind of common space of idea. Yeah. And what's interesting, you know, especially with the K-pop stand, is a lot of times they'll co-opt someone else's hashtag and use it for something completely opposite because kids are so creative. They just find a way to do that. So thank you for addressing that because I, I think a lot of times we're like, how does that work? So that will help adults understand that. But um, before we get too deep in this, I want to go to Pam for a minute because this whole Facebook files thing has been all over the news and how Instagram can be damaging, particularly to teenage girls, et cetera, et cetera. So we've seen so much news about this lately. But can you explain how perhaps TikTok is a little bit different from Instagram or is it? Well, it it is and it isn't. Uh, first, let me just say, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the Facebook files and all of that that stuff next next time we meet. Uh, but the, the data that came out of Facebook wasn't a very good representation of real research. So if you're a researcher and you look at the methodology uh, of the things that are being reported, there's some questions. That being said, yes, Facebook and Instagram are problems. Uh, the inst TikTok has many of the same qualities that Instagram does, which is to say it's visual, that people use that to show off their body, inspiration, various kinds of activities that can trigger social comparison. Social comparison is a normal reaction. It's only bad if you sort of get stuck there and, and uh, you know, use that to evaluate yourself in, in a meaningful way. But so what I do like about TikTok that I think is different is that it really rewards creativity. And the more that we reward creativity, the more you're working on internal self-esteem rather than physical properties. Right. So I wanted to just take a moment here because we've been hearing so much about algorithms and how they work to give us what we want to see or perhaps don't want to see on our social media networks. And what I think is interesting, and I don't know if this is true, so I'm going to ask for this in a second, but they say that the TikTok algorithm is a little bit different and it's a little bit wider. It will give you things that it not just what you like or what you're interested in, but things kind of from left field. So it tries to encourage a little bit of diversity. So, you know, I, I use TikTok. I look at it just because I'm curious. And I find that to be true in my For You, which is the feed that they give you for you. I get just things from left field, which I don't seem to get on Instagram or Facebook. So, Brooke, do you agree with that, that TikTok's algorithm is a little bit different? I, my intuition here is that that's right. So um, so as a user, that's also what I've experienced. Um, it does seem to be the case that the algorithm is sort of uncannily good at figuring out what it is you're interested in and giving you mostly that, but also interspersing some other things, maybe trending topics or, or stuff from out in left field, like you said. 
but the truth is we don't know as scientists. Um, we don't have access to the algorithms, uh, nor the data that we would need to try to recreate those algorithms. And actually, as of uh, just you know a few months ago, the, the laws around whether or not we can even try to access it um, have changed. So, so suddenly we are in a window where we can at least sort of uh, hack into the systems a little bit to try to figure out what they're doing. But you know, before that, we couldn't even take the data, um, even if we knew how. So, so it's a real challenge. So anytime we talk about how a TikTok algorithm works or an Instagram algorithm works or any other algorithm, we're just making our best guess because the companies don't share those data with us. Um, the companies are not obligated to submit them for any kind of public review or, or um, they're not subject to different policy interventions. Um, and this is really unlike any other kind of media. Where, where media are held accountable to certain standards and they have to kind of reveal their motivations and how they're curating content, especially for kids. Yeah, and that, that's why I think it's so important to teach kids what algorithms are and how they work because no one likes to be manipulated and for the, the kids to understand that they are being manipulated in a sense and for them to have that empowerment and say, wow, that's, that's happening, how do I change that? You know, I think it's very, very important. What, and Diana, let me just... Add that one example of, of TikTok activism was a big movement by Black content creators who felt that they were being shadowed or they were being under-promoted in the algorithm, that somehow their content was being suppressed and not being shown widely in the For You. So, uh, you know, there's, um, as, as Brooke said, there's really no way of looking under the hood, but I have heard uh, some of these political activists say the thing that they like about TikTok is that you really can get reach, whereas in Instagram, you are bound by whoever your followers are and then who they share with and all that, which obviously, you know, grows and grows. But on TikTok, you can reach a lot of people faster. Uh, and so, you know, while there are probably some issues in terms of equity, uh, there always are issues in terms of equity. Um, there are also some benefits to the way TikTok's algorithm runs right now for activists. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Um, uh, hopefully we can all share a few examples of the kind of activism that is happening on TikTok. And if Aries is quick enough, maybe she can put some of these in the chat box. Um, but Brooke, what, what do you see? Like what kind of activism have you seen pop up on the app lately? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the kind of high profile mass action activism like we've already talked about. But the thing that strikes me about TikTok that's so compelling, especially when I think about young people, I have a seventh grade daughter myself, is the kind of peer to peer activism or community building that's happening around issues of difference and diversity. Um, so we have queer kids doing outreach to other queer kids and maybe also to straight kids, you know, sort of sharing their experiences and what that's like, how to be, how they want to be treated. Same goes for, you know, young children of color. They're, they're sharing their experiences and teaching other kids um, how to be inclusive and how to be welcoming in different contexts. So I, I really love that as a form of activism, that, that kind of personal as political um, is so meaningful and powerful, as, especially as kids are developing their identities and their attitudes about these different issues. Yeah. And I think it's such an important week to talk about that because we are inundated with, you know, Instagram's damaging because there's social comparison and blah, blah, blah. And that may be true, but there's all this other stuff happening too. And, and like, you know, for kids who are coming out or who are trying to struggle with their identity, all of that stuff, 
to find like-minded individuals that will help them or show empathy towards them is so important, especially during this last year and a half when kids weren't able to get that kind of support in person. So I just hate to, to overlook that because I think that's so important. I'm sorry, Pam, I think well, I did you No, no, I don't know. And I, I just wanted to say that I thought that Brooke's point was really good because a lot of this activism on TikTok isn't getting a large group of people together to not go to a rally. It is this groundswell of information about what personal experiences with racism and that those kind of connections that ultimately can change a lot of opinions. Uh, I was listening to some uh, Gen Z folks uh, talking the other day, and they were really talking about using their platforms, as Brooke said, in such a personal way, encouraging people, don't wait for the big elections, get out and get involved in the local elections. We need to make change from the ground up. So I think if you see that kind of activism, I mean, I don't, you know, it's not the sort of typical get a sign, march down the street. It's a very much a groundswell shift in attitude that can have huge ramifications down the line. And but I love the passion um, that these kids have, and then the humor and creativity that they send these messages out. In. Yeah, and one of the things that I've seen a lot because I I've been reading, you know, for Gen Z, one of their biggest concerns is climate change. You know, naturally they should be concerned. I think we should all be concerned. So I found this great little piece on Wired about that. Um, rather than a scientist or academic explaining climate change in a way that's overly complicated and laced with jargon and hedging, watching stories on TikTok is like having a friend tell you what's happening and why you ought to be concerned. So there are some really interesting climate change TikToks. I would urge anybody, any parent watching, go to TikTok, hashtag climate change. You will see some really interesting things happening. And some of these... Um, influencers that are concerned about this have huge gigantic followings i thought this was cute because i watched a little influence video that was really good it was the Times square clock ticking down how much time we have to act before something horrible is going to happen regarding climate change and that video had been seen by so many people that the the columnist who wrote the article said uh probably 20,000 people will read my article about climate change. And that's only 7% of what one climate change activist gets on TikTok. So the reach is huge. And again, it's these kids loving to hear from each other directly. So I think that's a really interesting aspect to the app. Uh, so that brings me to the next question. Um, TikTok's growth has been explosive. It went from 55 million global users in January, 2018 to 689 million by July, 2020. So just in a broad sense, Brooke, what is it that kids love about TikTok? Well, I think they're responding obviously to the kind of visual nature of it, uh, the quick little sound bites, right? So, so TikTok started with just one minute videos. Now some people can make three minute videos, but, but like little, little nuggets of information. Um, and, you know, not for nothing, I think TikTok benefited from this extraordinary coincidence of timing that it, that it really kind of took hold right around the time that everything was shutting down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was popular in China before that, but in the United States, really, it was, you know, we're looking at it you know, about two years ago uh, where TikTok really got very popular. And so, you know, kids were at home. They were detached from their peers. 
They were oftentimes detached from kind of creative outlets they might be having at school, say theater clubs and the art groups and things like that. And they needed to find something to do. So I think at the timing was just right uh, for kind of experimentation with this creative medium and the tools in it were so easy to use that, that suddenly we see kids becoming these extraordinary content creators um, and, and generating these enormous followings. So on, on account of having the time and space to do that. Yeah, and I think you have to give them credit for picking things they cared about. You know, it isn't all just dance videos. I've seen several interviews with TikTok content creators where they were, just as you say, bored, started talking about things that mattered to them, not just how well they could dance or how to put on makeup or go shopping. So I think it's really, we underestimate the uh, sort of serious intention or the the moral values of this group and just because they share them in a way that we're not used to seeing. Uh, so I think that that, I think that was really encouraging. Yeah. And it's really a media psychology 101 <laughs> experiment, I think, or example, uh, maybe that you can speak to better than I can. Like kids like to tell their stories, right? I mean, it's yeah. kind of an age old thing. And, and now they have this tool where it's so easy for them to do. And it's so personal. It's so personal and they break the fourth wall, right? They look right into your eyes. It's very immediate. You're talking to someone most likely on their mobile phone, right? Which means that's their property, their personal space. So you're really, they're stepping into each other's personal space when they make these connections. So these TikTok influencers, especially if they, it's somebody that a kid follows regularly, feel like friends. I mean, they honest to God feel like friends in the way that, you know, they're, uh, in, offline friends do. So, I, you know, it's it's very compelling. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we forget that Gen Z is really, you know, a generation of activism. They're concerned about a lot of things happening in the world. They're growing up with social media in their palm of their hands. So it's I, it really is this perfect combination of factors that makes them want to experiment with civic engagement. And I, I think that's kind of cool. You know, we, I think sometimes we don't give kids enough credit for that experimentation. Um, that we don't really encourage it as much as we should. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, absolutely. I saw a statistic that said 88% of the TikTok users polled, who knows what that population was, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. uh, believe that what they're doing on TikTok is going to make a difference yeah. in the real world, that it isn't just entertainment, that they really have intentionality behind this, whether it's uh, you know climate change or racism or... Uh, equity among, for gender uh, identity, you know, just all of those things, they really believe that they're pushing the ball down the field. And, and um, is yeah, we have a, a question. Oh, sorry. We have a question about that too. Um, if I can just hop in. Um, yeah. The question is, do what I do or do what I say? How do you know that the passion and what they're actually posting does turn into activism? So that's kind of, and I we've seen a lot of these conversations come up, right? Where like, are you just standing in and liking and sharing? Are you actually engaging and supporting? And um, But yeah, if you guys could speak to that, that would be wonderful. I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing and then I'm gonna throw it to the other two, but I do know, you know, especially during cyber civics when we're talking to kids about this kind of thing, we say, look, a like is a vote. A share is a vote. You know, it, it's, a, it's not a passive act. It's you're actually doing something. You may not even comment on an article or a blog post or whatever, but the fact that you're liking or sharing it is, you know, it goes to your digital reputation. It goes to your feelings. People are going to know that you're associated with that thought. So even, even a very simple act like that should 
kids should know that it means something. Um, I'll let you guys take it from there because there's so much more. Yeah, I get this question a lot. Um, so I write about online activism and people say, well, you know, what does it even do? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor of communication and words matter. Uh, so the way that kids are talking and the way that they're talking to one another really does make a big difference, right? So if we think about the kinds of issues that we're trying to resolve, it's stuff like racism, sexism, you know, environmental destruction. So, so where do we get ideas about these things? It's by communicating with one another. So to the extent that these kids are creating materials and packaging them in such a way that their peers pay attention, like that is activism, right? So I don't need them necessarily. They don't have money necessarily. They don't have a vote. Uh, they're literally disenfranchised until they're 18 years old. So what else could they possibly be doing? I suppose showing up and volunteering in places. But all the research suggests that if you do this kind of political talk, uh, you are also much more likely to do political action both in that moment and in the future as an adult. So you're more likely to be a voter. You're more likely to run for office and so on. So I think we always worry about this displacement hypothesis. That's what we call it in my field. But, but in fact, we see that these things kind of grow uh, over time. Right. So <clears throat> the TikTok slacktivism, um, one, some of the, the data, obviously they're not all these TikTokers are, are voting age. They how, can, however, encourage people to register for vote, mm -hmm. which can increase the voting population. And there were some statistics saying that people who had engaged in the hashtags and sharing on TikTok were 20% more likely to vote than the people who did not. So just awareness of political activity and awareness of issues has to increase your level of civic participation down the road. I mean, it's sort of the thin edge of the wedge, right? I mean. You, you start to care about the things you know about. Exactly. So Pam, what happens when a child believes something or posts about something that contradicts maybe values that their parents have? What, would a, what could a parent do about that? Oh, golly. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the generational problem, right? Where we're looking at, I was thinking, well, what would have the sixties been like if they'd had TikTok? Um, <laughs> frightening uh, thought, but you know, I think the first, our first soapbox point for parents is always have a conversation where you can be open-minded because the, the communication language, the currency in TikTok is much different. If you're thinking of it as just Facebook Live, so to speak, it's not. It's a completely different environment with a completely different aesthetic. So I would start by trying to learn what's going on, what they like why something matters to them, because it might be the influencer, or it might be that they've seen an example of that issue, or it might be that they interpret that issue differently than the parent does, which doesn't mean that's wrong. It just means that it's different. So what you really are trying to do is build that bridge of trust that we're always talking about. So this is where you just say you really need to engage in some kind of critical thinking and media literacy and open-mindedness. Hallelujah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's sort of nothing's changed, really. I mean, it's very common for teens to have different values and all that. It's just happening on a really big platform right now. So I think that's what scares a lot of adults. I think that's right. I think we also, as grownups, uh, have a tendency now and throughout history to blame media and technology for differences 
that are actually social and cultural, right? So, so my kids are growing up in a really different world than the one that I grew up in, for better and worse. There are good things and bad things um, that have changed. And it's really easy to say it's TikTok or it's cable television or it's rock music or it's comic books or, you know, you can go back through history and yeah. find the technology right. of the time is always blamed for these yeah. differences when in fact it's just social change. Yeah. And I was thinking about that just recently, and I, I promised that we would talk about this, but these challenges, you know, the last, last one is slap a teacher challenge. And I read somewhere yesterday that a child was being held, you know, accountable for slapping a teacher and it was TikTok's fault. And I, and I thought about that. And, you know, that could have happened on any app. It could have happened on a tel like a tel someone could have called him and said, why don't you slap a teacher? So to blame the tool is really looking at this all wrong. I mean, there, there's a societal problem here if kids don't know that that's not a proper thing to do. It's critical thinking, it's ethical thinking, it's all that stuff that the tool isn't gonna make or break. Um, and I, we don't really have time to go into challenges right now, but we did do a, a Cyberwise chat on TikTok challenges earlier in the year that you can find on our website. And we took a deep dive and they're gonna come and go. So, you know, to talk about a specific challenge is, is as important as talking about helping kids have the ethical thinking to use this technology wisely. Yeah, I think that's the the really the important point, Diana, is understanding their values. And then if 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 a kid thinks it's really funny to do this lap of teacher and they're talking to you about it, then ask them, try to back that up into some other moral situation and say, well, how does that fit with, you know, would you, you know, slap the guy at the grocery store? Would you slap your friend? Would you slap your grandmother? Why would that be different? And then, of course, the, the value of social media is that these kids keep posting what they mm -hmm. did online, which means they, it's really easy to catch them. So, no, <laughs> I mean, that's... it's like, <laughs> yeah, we have an ethical thinking problem. <laughs> we have another question for you guys. So trying to balance all of this data that's collected on TikTok with our kids and then also encourage social activism. So the exact question was, what about the massive collection of varied data, including biometric identifiers and biometric information about each person? What your ideas are about that? To take that one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a real problem. I am grateful. Um, to things like the Facebook files and various, uh, you know, documentaries and things that have come out lately that have made this a topic of popular conversation. I think that the social media platforms by and large have relinquished any claim to being responsible with how they collect our data or use our data. And quite frankly, it's time to introduce regulations. Uh, the, you know, the window where people could have self-regulated their own companies um, has passed. And, and we've seen this happen in other media industries, right? So television had to be regulated um, in order to ensure that we were delivering content that was good for society. Um, and I think we're in that space for social media now. So I hope it becomes a sustained political topic and that we think about that next time we go to vote and, and which politicians are both equipped and willing to start talking seriously about a regulatory environment that's going to produce the outcomes that we want yeah. as a society. I think the key word there is equipped. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I what I hope is that they go after the big issues and they don't just like, let's ban TikTok, right? In other words, let's not, we don't, let's not hold the, the balloon underwater because right. it will come up someplace else. Let's go after the really substantive issues that are going to be true across these platforms. Yeah, and I agree, but I'm, I'm impatient. Like legislation is going to take a really, really long time and we don't have time to waste. 
So I think teaching kids about this stuff is super important. And I was thinking about a lesson we do where we have kids read um, the user agreement on TikTok, which they do together. So they, it's kind of fun for them. And someone mentioned the biometric and all that stuff. When kids realize the personal information that's being collected and used elsewhere, like I believe one of my students found a little cause in there somewhere saying that they can use your face for advertisements in another country. And my kids were aghast. They were like, what? No one ever told me this. And I'm like, it's there in black and white. So again, I would encourage parents, if you're going to, if your child's going to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours of their time on TikTok, spend maybe a few hours on the front end and together read the privacy policy, talk about it and ask if they're willing to agree to what these apps are asking for them. You might be surprised. Some kids don't want to give away all that personal information. It would also add that some of this culture starts at home too, right? So, so I mentioned I had a seventh grade daughter and I think a lot of parents in my community sort of naturally curate a, an acceptance of surveillance that, that you have a phone and so I'm allowed to track it. And my daughter and I sat down and had a serious conversation about that and said, look, you have a phone, it has this capability. Are you comfortable with it? Right. So, so can I track you? Under what conditions can I track you? When can I intervene? And I think cultivating that kind of respect and agency, although, you know, she's 12. So, of course, the answer is yes, I can do those things and I'm allowed to do those things and arguably should be doing some of those things anyway. But giving her some agency in that conversation and showing her exactly when and how I'm going to do it, I think builds a healthy skepticism about allowing companies and governments to do that in the future. Exactly. And that kind of brings us to our, our final, we always finish with this, our final question, but Pam, what would be your top tips to parents that are trying to navigate the TikTok space and maybe want to encourage their kids to use it well, whether it's civic engagement or just putting videos up there that aren't going to embarrass them in 10 years? How would you advise parents? I mean, the first thing I would advise parents to do is to try and learn a little bit about TikTok. It's, it's a completely different format than Instagram or or Facebook, and you will be you will be having a much more useful conversation once you understand the way these feeds work and the way that you can navigate within TikTok. But it, it really get, comes back to having the conversation. So have the conversation, even if you don't have time to look at TikTok. You got to talk, and you have to be open minded. And Brooke, you brought up a good point of what you do with your daughter. Are there other recommendations you would give parents that are have kids that are just starting to use the app? Yeah, I think for the littlest kids, uh, you know, of course, sitting down and watching with them, co-viewing is the kind of gold standard. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, it helps to train the algorithm. So, so how you engage with the For You feed encourages certain kind of content to show up and discourages other kind of content. And then as they get a bit older and more experienced in my family, we've developed a habit of sharing TikToks with each other, right? So, so we will send them to each other when we think they're cute or funny. And that's a way for me to keep tabs on what is showing up in my kids' feeds, right? So I can sort of see without literally being there all the time with them watching what kinds of things might be showing up. Yeah. And I think that's what you said right there, train the algorithm. That's such an important and valuable thing for parents to understand is like we can train these tools to be the best of us, not the worst of us. And I, I think that's so important. The other thing I wanted to point out is, um, you know, TikTok has really great privacy settings, all kinds of settings. I, I don't know if you can see my phone. You really can't. But if you go to your TikTok and you go to your profile in the upper right hand corner, you'll see the hashtags or the little crossbars. Click on that, and there's two really important things for parents to know about. Um, the first one is family pairing. 
This is very unique amongst the social media networks, but a parent can actually pair their TikTok account with their <laughs> teens, and that will allow them to do all kinds of things like um, set a limit on your teen's watch time, limit content that isn't suitable for your teen, manage your teen's privacy and safety settings, and choose whether your teen can have a private or public account. And these settings are awesome, but they're only as awesome as us. We have to actually make time to set them up with our teen and use them. So really encourage you to look into that. Well, I want to underscore what Brooks did, which was had that conversation first, because it isn't very difficult to open a new TikTok account if your parents just come in and slam the door on all those things. So it's really a negotiated uh, event. Exactly. And kids can always unset whatever you set on their social media, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think it's also really helpful to if you research some of these more positive voices and influencers that are sharing things that are meaningful and maybe encourage them to follow those accounts too because sometimes it's hard amongst all the noise to know what's great and what is yeah. subpar. And I will say that's something Arias does really well in our social media that we have on CyberWise and CyberCivic. She's always finding the positive influencers and positive posts and sharing those. So if you don't already follow us, please do, because it'll uplift your day, I promise. <laughs> All right. So I have to run to teach middle schoolers how to be good digital citizens, which is really important in <laughs> today's conversation. So got to go. <laughs> but Rick, thank you so much for making yes, time thank you. to be with us. We it's really appreciate it. And if you haven't already checked out her book, please do. I'm actually reading it as we speak, and it's really, really interesting. Um, included a link right in the chat, too, if you want to check that out. Yes. And always, as always, thank you, Pam, and thank you, Arius. We appreciate all of you for making time for this today. And join us next time. We're going to talk, take a deep dive into the Facebook files, which should be a lot of fun. So, yeah. all right. Everyone, Woo! have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.